Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul is at Miletus. He's about 14 miles from Ephesus where he had established the church. He called for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come there to Miletus. He didn't want to take the extra time uh, to come on up to Ephesus, uh, but would meet them there. And when they were come to him, he said to them, You know that from the first day that I came into Asia, that I, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons. You know me. You've been with me. You've been with me in all kinds of circumstances. Uh, you know me. And so he's, he's acknowledging, you, you know me. I'm not revealing anything new to you. You know me. But now he's going to talk to them and he's going to commission them for the ministry. Uh, these are the men that were with Paul. They knew him well. They were with him in all kinds of situations. And he's going to talk to them now about the ministry because he's not sure that they will ever see him again. Uh, he's living in uncertainty as far as the future is concerned. He knows that everywhere he's going, the Holy Spirit is warning him uh, that uh, things are not going to be good when he gets to Jerusalem. There are bonds and imprisonment that is awaiting him. So he's going to talk to them first about his own ministry among them, and then he's going to actually uh, charge them concerning their ministry. So he said, uh, his ministry, I was serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with tears and trials because of the Jews. You know me. You know that I've served the Lord with humility of mind. God has been very good to us, and God has been very good to many of you fellows, and God has blessed your churches far beyond anything you ever dreamed or imagined, just as he has with me. It's an interesting thing. When God begins to bless, you probably have one of the greatest dangers as far as your ministry is concerned. If you can explain to me why it is that God has blessed your ministry, you're in trouble. If you think that it's anything that you have, any technique that you have or whatever, and that you found some kind of a secret and God has chosen uh, because of your ability and, uh, you know, he was just waiting uh, for you and he has finally discovered you and now the people have discovered you, the lucky people, uh, you're in big trouble. Humility of mind. And the danger of success is that sometimes we lose that humility of mind. We begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We begin to attribute the success to something other than just God's grace that we heard about today in such a uh, profound way. God is good, and God wants to bless. But unfortunately, I feel that many times God knows that he cannot bless uh, 
because the success often is really uh, causes a person to stumble. They think that it was them instead of God and, and thus um, they, they begin to lose the power and the blessings that God once bestowed upon their lives. I went out into the ministry many, many years ago and God allowed me many years of dismal failure. After 14 years in the ministry, I was really ready to start all over again. Uh, in those 14, well, <laughs> let me just say, when I began the ministry, I thought I knew all about it, and I thought I knew the keys of success, and I knew why other people weren't successful. I felt that I had uh, the... Uh, the anointing and the program and everything else and that, you know, the world is out there waiting for me. And when I got out into the world, I discovered they weren't waiting for me. They weren't even interested in me. Uh, they didn't care a thing about me. And uh, so I was struggling uh, for 14 years in the ministry, uh, working on the side uh, in order you know, tent making in order to stay in the ministry. And uh, it, was, it was difficult for me. I had a hard time. But it was a necessary time. God had to empty me of myself, of the self-confidence that I had, of the uh, abilities that I thought that I had. Uh, he had to show me that I had nothing, and uh, that uh, he, <laughs> I love that scripture, that uh, God has prepared us for the work that he has before ordained, that we should walk in them. Uh, from this standpoint, looking back, you can connect the dots, and, and you can see now the hand of God all the way along, how that these things that we didn't understand, these things that were such confusion to us in our own minds. We can look back now and we can see, well, God had a purpose in that. And we can see what God was doing in that, at looking back. And it's an experience, uh, an interesting experience. And it's good to be at this stage of life where you can look back. Because I can look back a lot further than I can look ahead. I really can't, I don't know how much further I've got to look ahead. Uh, but looking back, there's a long history back there, and I can learn from it. And in looking back, I can see how God let me go through those years in order that when he began to do what he was wanting to do all along, I would not be tempted to try and take credit or glory for what God was doing. Had he blessed me in the very early years of my ministry, uh, like he has blessed me in the later years, I wouldn't be here today. It would have destroyed me. I would have had all kinds of books written on how to be successful and how to build a large church and all of this kind of stuff, and I would not be touchable. Uh, I would be in a little ball, just, you know, 
uh, here I am, and you know, uh, for a fee you can come and talk to me. Uh, but uh, thank God uh, he let me go through and come to the place where I recognized and realized I had nothing. And when I came to that realization, then God had me in the place where he was wanting to uh, get me. He was preparing me, preparing me through the uh, failures in the ministry in order that he could then begin to do the blessings uh, that he wanted to do. And, and so I learned the hard way. And, uh, and I think that God led me that way and let me experience that failure. Uh, so I could encourage guys like you uh, to realize that it isn't really your ability that he's interested in at all. He's interested in your availability and uh, that uh, he can use you just as he has chosen after teaching me that I am nothing, uh, that he can take nothing and make something out of it. And that has been just the thrill of my life, watching what God can do when you get out of the way and you can let him do what he is longing to do. So Paul said, serving the Lord with humility of mind. And, and it's important that you get to that place. Tears and trials. The tears over the failures. Uh, the tears over the mistakes. Uh, the trials of going through hard experiences. And yet, in all of them, learning lessons. Learning the faithfulness of God. Going, you know, uh, oftentimes without uh, the luxuries. Never did go without necessities. But oftentimes going without the luxuries of life. And yet through it, learning God's faithfulness and God's provision. Paul said that... Uh, he was serving the Lord with humility of mine and with many tears and temptations, which befell me in the lying of the way to the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. So holding back, you're to minister, but not in a reserved kind of a way. Well, I have 10 minutes for you, and if you will, uh, speak real fast, you know. I'll listen to what you have to say. But not holding back from the people. Giving yourself to the people and making yourself available to them. Holding back nothing that would be profitable for you. And then Paul speaks about his style. He said, and I showed you and taught you. Publicly and from house to house. That is his was not just behind the pulpit. It wasn't just through the preaching or the exhorting. But he showed them. He got out and he was with them. Uh, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't ashamed to make tents if necessary in order to provide for his needs and his company with him. Showing them that we can work with our hands. 
showing them that we're not above work and uh, that, uh, you know, if necessary, in order to support uh, the ministry, willing to do the work and so forth, and, and not looking at that as something that, well, look how special I am, but just, you know, this needs to be done. And I think that uh, uh, our greatest sermons really are not from the pulpit, but uh, they're away from the pulpit and uh, really maybe around the churchyard and so forth. Uh, I have a habit of uh, uh, going through the church parking lot and I have a little neat little cart and I uh, have a neat gripper thing and I can pick up papers in the parking lot and all. And people say, oh, pastor, I saw you out in the, that wonderful. No, no, it's just that, you know, I want to keep a clean parking lot. The people coming in, I don't want them to think, what a trashy place. I want them to think, you know, they care about that place. They care about it looking good. I was with a David Rosales Church uh, Saturday with the men. And the thing that impressed me with the church there, how sharp it looks. How great the grounds look, the landscape, everything looks just great. Like, they care for this place. They love this place. And they honor this as God's place. And uh, because it is God's, let's keep it up as best we can. may not be the best, but at least we keep it up as best we can. As showing them, uh, letting them see, letting them see it in our lives, and then teaching them. You know, you can't really teach them uh, more than what you can show them. And it's important, uh, both are important, but I think that the showing is just as important as the teaching. If you don't show them, uh, they're not going to learn it nearly as well as when you demonstrate for them and you show it to them. You show it by your life. It isn't do as I say for you to do, but do as I am doing. Follow me, Paul said, even as I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm setting uh, the example for you. Follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. Some of you are encouraging me tremendously. It looks like you're falling off to sleep. And, uh, and that's a great encouragement uh, because, uh, uh, <laughs> what was it, uh, D.L. Moody used to say, never preach after lunch. He said, people are full of beef and unbelief. And so, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I really thought I had something to say, and you're proving to me that I don't, but that's good. Uh, it keeps me humble. Uh, Paul's message to them was repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the word repent is the first word of the gospel. John the Baptist came saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first word of the gospel through John the Baptist. The first word of Jesus was again, repent. And uh, Paul was preaching repentance. Surely that is the great need of the world in which we live today. How people need to turn from the careless living, turn from the sinful living, and to repent. That means to turn away from 
but it's turning to uh, that life in Christ. And then faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. As we well know, uh, that's what it's all about. It's not what we have done, not what we can do. It's what he has done. And to lead people to put their faith and in their, their trust in what Jesus has done for them. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul speaks about his circumstances there, beginning with verse 22. Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit is witnessing in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Heading towards Jerusalem, fellows, I'm bound in the Spirit. Just exactly what he means by that is, is an interesting thing to speculate on. Everywhere he is going, the Spirit is warning him what is waiting for him. Is the Spirit saying, Paul, don't go? Some believe that, and I think some that even talked to Paul and, and warned Paul by the Spirit felt that it was a warning, don't go, Paul. I think that the Lord is just, as Paul said, you know, when he first was converted, the Lord showed him the things that he was going to have to suffer for Christ's sake. And I think the Lord is giving him the choice. Paul, this is what's going to wait for you in Jerusalem. And, and I think that Paul could have said, well, not me, you know, I'm heading back to Ephesus. Uh, but uh, I, I think that the Lord was just warning Paul, these are the things that are going to happen. So that Paul went in with his eyes wide open. He wasn't blindsided. I don't think that the Lord will let you get blindsided. I think that he warned you uh, that uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, it's it's going to be difficult. There are going to be problems. Uh, you're going to have people that are going to hate you and you don't even know why they hate you. You'll have people that are turning against you and, and people that will have little campaigns uh, to uh, get rid of you as the pastor and so forth. And, and uh, you know, if you're afraid of what might happen, if you go there, you probably would never go. But the Lord is faithful. He warns you and says, hey, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be difficulties. There are going to be problems. But I will be with you. And that's the main thing. As long as the Lord is with me, I can handle it. But uh, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. And I don't know what is waiting for me there, except I know it's bad. I know that there is imprisonment. I know there are bonds and so forth. And uh, it's, it's not good. But yet, Paul felt constrained to go. Uh, he felt that it was necessary to go. And so his attitude, knowing that it's going to be hard, knowing that there's imprisonment, knowing that there's bonds that are waiting him, uh, Paul speaks about his attitude toward this. Not worried about it. It doesn't bother me. Uh, I know that the future is going to be bad, but... None of these things move me. That is from my determination. Neither, he said, do I count my life dear unto myself. I think that there are three words that Paul never said. 
And that was, oh dear me. Unfortunately, I've heard those words so often. People say, oh dear me. And that's your problem. Your life is dear to yourself. Uh, I loved what uh, the uh, uh, fellows just shared at the beginning of this, uh, Raul's son, uh, where, you know, <laughs> let's go. It doesn't matter. You know, so they, and just, you know, to go into those places where uh, there's antagonism towards uh, the gospel and toward Jesus Christ. But uh, so they, you know, yell at you. So they call you names or whatever. Uh, I don't count my life dear to myself. It doesn't matter to me. Let them say what they will. Uh, it, it doesn't matter to me. Let them do what they will. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I don't count my life dear to myself. But Paul had one goal, and I think that this is important that we have this goal, that I might finish my course with joy. He wrote to Timothy toward the end and said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. I want to finish my course with joy. You know, there are a lot of people that have a great start, but they have a poor end. And, and it's tragic. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of times it's because uh, we aren't really following the exhortation of Paul. Not serving the Lord with all humility of mind when success comes, begin to be lifted up with the success. Uh, let it go to your head. You begin to think that maybe you're above uh, the laws of God. Uh, that uh, you are an exception. That uh, it doesn't really matter that, uh, you know, you're pilfering a bit from the offering. Because really the church doesn't pay you enough anyhow. And so you're just sort of adding to your own salary. And, uh, you know, the way you can justify things. And, and I think that... Uh, uh, a lot of attention is oftentimes given to us in the ministry. Uh, people have been blessed by your ministry. Uh, they uh, want to show their appreciation and all. And, uh, you know, they begin to flatter you. And uh, you get to that place of folly where you begin to believe their flatter. And... Uh, you begin to think that maybe you are God's gift to the church. And uh, it, it's a sad thing because uh, there are silly women uh, who are often attracted to you because of your position as the minister. People are looking up to you and uh, they will begin to, uh, you know, give you special attention and so forth. And, and the danger is if you begin to take this and 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 let it sort of uh you know twist your mind and uh you begin to fall prey to these things and soon you find yourself caught up in an affair and you say oh it never happened to me uh far too many really successful calvary chapel pastors 
some of the guys with the greatest potential and, and some of the larger churches. Uh, through the years we've watched them uh, to be conned by the enemy and uh, they lose the ministry. They are no longer in the ministry uh, because uh, they didn't finish the course with joy. Uh, they uh, got puffed up somewhere along the line and, and God can no longer use them. And, and it's always a tragic thing to behold uh, a person's fall from grace and from the ministry that God had given to them. And uh, so often it is through some woman in counseling where uh, she comes in and uh, she begins to tell you how uh, her husband is mistreating her and how that uh, he, uh, you know, just uh, doesn't pay any attention to her or just is neglecting her. And uh, she's very attractive and she's very sweet and uh, she, uh, you begin to sympathize with her and tell her you can't understand how you know, any fellow could treat her like that, you know, that she is such a lovely person and so forth. And pretty soon, you know, you find yourself getting involved. And uh, too many pastors have lost their place in the ministry. They didn't finish the course with joy. They finished the course with sort of a tragedy or they are alongside the road somewhere bruised and bleeding because they didn't give good heed to keeping free from those kinds of things where Satan is uh, out to destroy you. He's out to destroy your ministry. And the greater your ministry becomes, the more Satan is going to set these traps for you and seek to ensnare you and to destroy you. And so be careful of this. Uh, you can't be too careful on it. Be careful. Uh, so Paul said, my goal is I want to finish my course with joy. To testify of the good news of the grace of God. And of course, today we heard that testimony of the good news of the grace of God. Of God. So Paul then personally testified concerning his ministry. I know that you may not see my face anymore, but I want you to know this make a record of this. I am pure from the blood of all men. It's interesting, the Lord spoke to the prophet Ezekiel, you remember. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, if I say to the wicked, you're going to die in your wickedness, and you don't warn them, then they will die in their wickedness, but their blood will I require at your hand. If a man turns away from his righteousness and you warn them, then 
if they die in that state, you're free. But if you don't warn them, their blood will I require at your hand. Paul is saying, I'm pure of the blood of all men. That is, he did go around. He was straight shooter. He didn't compromise the truth. He didn't try to give people an easy way in. Uh, he declared to them, he said, all of the counsel of God. And this is something very interesting to me. When he was there in Ephesus for a couple of years, he said, I declare to you all of the counsel of God. I don't know how long you've been with your congregation, but could you today go back and stand before your congregation and say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I have fully declared to you all of the counsel of God. Now let me just suggest, if you haven't taken them through the whole Bible, I don't know how you could say that you've declared to them all of the counsel of God. I could stand before my congregation today and declare to them, I am innocent of the blood of all men because I have fully declared to you all of the counsel of God. I've been through the Bible with them for seven times now. We're going through on our eighth. And we don't skip. There are passages that I would rather skip. They're not comfortable to deal with. But yet, when you're going straight through, you can't skip. It's too obvious. So you just plow through it and you just declare what God has declared and you declare to them the whole counsel of God. And I think that that's really the key to the blessings of God upon the Calvary Chapel churches because of this practice that we have of going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book going through the Word of God, the whole Word of God, with the people. And God has said there in Psalm, I will bless my word above my name. Now God's name is powerful. You know, the name Jehovah, a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are safe. And how God has honored His name and uh, with the children of Israel, it wasn't because of their righteousness, but God was just honoring his name that he preserved them and helped them and so forth uh, because they were surely not deserving it, but uh, for his name's sake. But yet God is saying, I will honor my word even above my name. And if you will honor his word and if you will teach his word, he will bless his word and the people will grow and become strong in the word of God. So um, Paul said, I'm pure of the blood of all men uh, because I've declared to them all the counsel of God. And so Paul's final charge uh, to these leaders in the church of Ephesus, uh, we find there where Paul said, uh, that uh, 
feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Isn't it interesting when uh, Jesus had met with Peter and John there at the uh, Sea of Galilee after his resurrection and uh, how that they had gone at his command up to Galilee because he said he would meet them there. And as they were waiting for him and he didn't show up uh, in, I guess, the time that they thought he would, Peter said to the others, well, I'm going fishing. And some of them said, well, we'll go with you. And we remember the story so well there in John 21. They fished all night and they caught nothing. In the morning, Jesus stood on the shore and they didn't recognize who he was, but he called out and he said, Children, do you have any meat? Or basically, did you catch anything? No, that's the average uh, question of a fisherman. You see them out fishing, you say, Catch anything? <laughs> and they said, Nah. He said, Well, why don't you cast your net on the other side? And uh, so... They cast the net on the other side and immediately it was filled with great fish, so much so they couldn't pull it into the boat. And when Peter saw that they could not pull it in, or John, uh, because of the multitude of fish, uh, he said, it's the Lord. And you remember Peter dove in and swam to shore and the other disciples came in a small little boat pulling the nets with them. When they got to the shore, you remember that Jesus already had a fire built and fish on it, and he said, come and dine. And then he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Using that wonderful Greek word, agapos, do you love me with a divine, fervent, complete love? And you remember Peter's response, Lord, you know I am your friend, using the lesser word phileo. But what did Jesus then say? Feed my sheep. The second time he said, Peter, do you love me? Using again the agape or agapas. And again, Peter answers with the phileo. Lord, you know I'm your friend. Take care of my sheep. Tend my sheep. Watch over them. The third time, Jesus uses Peter's word. And he said, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me as a friend, truly? And Peter was offended or hurt, you remember, the third time because Jesus said, he used Peter's word, phileo, do you love me or are you really my friend? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I am your friend. A tragedy, he couldn't come up to the Lord's word. He couldn't acknowledge the agapas. Why? Because the Lord had said earlier, 
He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me, using the agapas. But Peter was leading the guys fishing. Not just go in Galilee, wait for me and I'll meet you there. But he was leading them astray. Showing a lack of the true kind of love that the Lord is looking for. But I'm sure that to, today, sometime, if you get a quiet time with the Lord and he asks you the question, do you love me? We're so prone to just say, well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And if we do respond with that, good. If you can respond with that, good. But then, if you do, the next thing is he'll command you, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Take the oversight of my sheep. And so Paul is saying to the elders of Ephesus, Take heed to the flock of God over which God has given you the oversight. And I'd like to give you that kind of a challenge today, fellas. Take heed to the flock of God over which he has given you the oversight. There are people who are coming to your church. They are coming to hear the word of God. They're coming in order to find answers to the problems in life and take heed to the flock of God. Feed the sheep that they might grow in their knowledge of the Lord and in their walk and their relationship with Him. Be faithful in feeding the sheep. So a great charge of Paul to these elders of Ephesus. And uh, it, you can go on into it. He goes on and talks about, uh, you know, again, remembering how that uh, in the space of three years, I didn't cease to warn you everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. And I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that with these hands I ministered unto my necessities and to those that were with me. And I have showed you, again, show and tell, I have showed you all of these things, how that in so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he knelt down there on the beach with them and he prayed for them. And they all were weeping. They fell upon Paul's neck. They kissed him with, and uh, because of the words, basically that, you probably will never see me again. And that thought of this last time with Paul, the faithful servant of God who was directing them in uh, the way they should be going uh, and thus 
uh, this final farewell. But uh, who knows? The condition of our world today, if we'll have another one of these conferences. Uh, things are not good, fellas, and I don't need to tell you that, nor do I need to belabor it. We all know that things are not good. We know that there is a real anti-Christ movement within the United States. We know that the government is taking uh, just terrible positions really against the church. And uh, they are talking about, uh, you know, further restrictions. And uh, we need to just uh, realize that we may not have the same freedoms that we presently have uh, as far as sharing the full counsel of God. Uh, they're talking about, uh, you know, hate crimes and hate crime legislation and uh, how that uh, there are certain passages of Scripture that will really set you up as a uh, guilty of a hate crime if you read Romans chapter 1 or some of the other passages. And so we may not have the same kind of freedom a year from now. But if it becomes against the law to teach the word of God, just send me a file in your package and I'll see what I can do to get out. But, uh, you know, we've got to be faithful in keeping the word.